are now checked into Let's Talk Books Radio. to Let's Talk Books Radio. I'm Stephanie Andrea Allen and joining me are my co-hosts Lauren Sherrill and our guest this morning is Kabul Carson. Welcome everybody. Thank you. So we'll just jump right in. I think you have one of the most interesting stories in this collection, Black from the Future, a collection of Black speculative fiction. I just, I really love the mood that you create really from the very beginning. The story just feels spooky. It feels to me even though I think it's set, you know, somewhere between North Carolina and Virginia, it feels like South Carolina, you know, uh, it, mm. it has that kind of a feel to it to me. Uh, and I know you talk about that later on the story the character does. Um, but, but it really does feel um, very, it, it feels very modern, but it also feels um, a little historical in this, in this feel the way that uh, I'm thinking about the swamps, I'm thinking about, the characters, the white robes, and it just has this otherworldly feel to it, you know, which is something that I really appreciate. You just kind of dive right into another world as soon as you start reading in some ways. Um, so my first question is, uh, what was your inspiration for this story? Yeah, it's interesting um, that you said that because that really is um, kind of the mood that I hope to bring to it. Um, it's rooted in Black American tradition, mm -hmm. language, culture, spirituality, and um, I very much believe the future of Black people is rooted in our past, not mm -hmm. in the pain of it necessarily, but in the joy we've had um, and in the survival of our ancestors um, and them surviving so that we could live and so that we could thrive. Um, and so it's rooted in that tradition, the tradition of Black authors building new worlds for us in the future when there isn't always space for us to be free or to mm -hmm. be imaginative or to be our full selves in the present. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where a lot of that uh, came from. And from my grandmother, too, who is our family's uh, own griot and storyteller. Uh, one of the other things you mentioned, I think I read this in, um, in um, the other story that I think that, that, was, that I found online, uh, that you had gone to Ghana. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your time there? Yeah, um, I was 18. I think it was a freshman after the year after my freshman year of college. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a really cool program at Indiana University, Bloomington, where I went, um, that allows uh, Black students from the diaspora to go on um, a study abroad trip that studies the transatlantic slave trade, uh, the history of the um, diaspora, the history of Ghana itself. Um, and it was a life-changing experience. I know uh, people say that when they travel for the first time uh, internationally, which was the case for me, but just feeling home at a place uh, that you haven't been to and feeling the, the history that in some ways stops in history books uh, for us as Black Americans, um, seeing the ways that it's connected to uh, an entirely different place um, and the ways that we've been able to preserve our culture and preserve parts of it in spite of everything that tried to erase it and erase us. Um, and it was just a, a catalyzing moment for me in terms of self-identity and exploration. Yeah. And it's a beautiful place on top of that. Um, we spent uh, more than a month traveling the entire country. So going um, to the Volta region, we were in Accra, we went to um, the Gold Coast where the slave castles and things like that were. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the point of it was to track the actual footsteps and paths of uh, enslaved people and um, and really see history come to life in that way. I think this may be a good segue into my question. So in reading your story, The Night Has No Eyes, I felt like there was some really nice symbolism working there. Mm. Um, Zora, who is the POV character, she has an affinity mm-hmm. for the Sankofa bird, which parallels mm-hmm. the character's mentioning of chickens coming home to roost, which also parallels what's happening in the story, namely the retribution killing. And I'm sorry, I can't think of a better way to, to kind of, um, I guess, label it other than retribution killing. But um, all of that ties heavily into ancestry and heritage. And as a result, it creates a story that really feels personal to the writer. Mm. And one of the reasons why I say it feels personal is because I didn't feel a lot of narrative distance there. Um, I feel like you, you crafted a story that really draws the reader into what's happening in the moment. Um, so my question is, where can we find you in this story? It's interesting. Um... In a lot of ways, people may assume that it's autobiographical just because, uh, or in some ways, because of where it takes place and because um, of drawing on our collective history, but also family history in some ways in the tradition of storytelling. Um, But it actually comes from a point of growth that I was experiencing and actually a lot of people that influenced, uh, that were influences in my life uh, at that point of growth. and place being a big part of that. I lived in Eastern North Carolina where um, the story could be set. It kind of says North Carolina, Virginia line, Um, but place was a big part of growth for me in those moments too. And so Eastern North Carolina is almost its own character in the story. Um, And the characters that are in the story in some ways are composites of many people I've met over the years that um, have had a profound impact. And so, I think I'm in the story in the ways that um, I've seen how people can influence others in positive and really positive and profound ways. Um, and so maybe a reflection of, uh, of those folks I've learned from. I'm just about to be real nosy right now. <laughs> when <did you laughs> sure. When did you write this story? Like, was it something that you saw the call for submissions from Black from the Future? It's like, oh, I've got this idea, I can craft this, or was it already in the works? No, it's funny because uh, it actually kind of started as a film in my head and a lot of my creative projects do. Um, I was lost in my own thoughts uh, driving to work um, and the thread of it kind of started there. Um, I've been watching a lot of horror films um, and I'm a huge nerd. So I was digging into like, what are these origin stories of, um, of horror, um, like ghouls, ghosts, goblins, vampires, zombies. Um, and I found this whole African and diasporic origin of the zombie. Mm. And I had never known that history or how it was co-opted and whitewashed over time. Um, and I was a big Walking Dead fan and watched religiously with my dad and my sister. Um, you know, Night of the Living Dead is a classic. Z, 28 Days Later, I'd seen a lot of these whitewashed Hollywood iterations of zombies. Um, and I had never known that Zora Neale Hurston, an author I love and respect, um, and where I got the name for the title character to kind of pay homage, um, she had this entire exploration of zombies in Haitian and African tradition. Um, and I didn't know about the deep roots of conjure and the interconnectedness of it all, uh, even with my own family stories of hoodoo and curses and spiritual workings and things like that that have been passed down and changed over time. Um, and so when I discovered that, there was that 
spark there of recognizing that, oh, zombies are black as hell. Um, and there are also a lot of parallels between um, a zombie apocalypse and this dystopian future it sometimes feels we're marching toward in late stage capitalism and our current political climate. Um, and so I just kind of started making this joke, like I'm honestly ready for the zombie apocalypse and I hope they eat y'all first. Um, and from there, <laughs> that's kind of where uh, the idea for this thing came. Um, and a lot of stories are like that. They kind of live with me and I'll, uh, I'll almost see them as like films or as playing through and I'm like, oh, that might happen or this could happen. Um, and then got to the point where I wanted to put it on paper um, because it really just felt like a story that needed to be told again, because our future is rooted in our past um, and the things that we can learn from our ancestors and our elders um, and the ways that we can draw on that strength, not in actual <laughs> um, zombie breakouts or things like that, but just the ways we can draw from that strength and imagine what it would mean to build a new world if the world we live in um, isn't sustainable. I will say, you know, out of this collection, if there was a story that I would love to see as like a short film, this would definitely be one. <laughs> yeah, that, would, that would be really interesting. And then, like, I also have to tell on myself, so as far as my understanding or any history with zombies or mm -hmm. um, the root of zombie, um, it's completely whitewashed. You know, I'll just put it out there. It's completely whitewashed and it's completely driven by pop culture and it's completely driven by The Walking Dead. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's all I know. So um, when yes. I, a couple of weeks ago when the publisher's weekly review came out from Black in the Future and I was reading it and the reviewer described your story as a sharp zombie story, I was like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it didn't connect with me because in my mind, zombies have absolutely no purpose other than mm -hmm. to eat mm -hmm. and to kill, to eat and kill. However, in this story, this group of resurrected Black people, they definitely had a purpose, you know? So, mm -hmm. And that's why it didn't connect with me. Um, but I think that's the good thing about literature, um, you know, just reading different stories and the way that different authors craft their stories and really expand your scope of something that has been limited in the first place. And that's for me, just the whole creation of zombies and what it means across different cultures. Yeah, and even being able to, in some small ways, um, reclaim our stories and our histories that have been whitewashed or taken or co-opted and that continues um, today with our culture and our music. Everybody wants black culture but they don't want the black people in it and so being able to tell our stories um, in authentic ways and draw on the things that again our, our ancestors and elders laid out for us um, or helped create, um, it's important for me in those ways. Yeah, I just, um, I, I remember reading that review too, but I think when I read this story, I immediately connected it with Black Zombies. And I think part of the reason why is just because I just knew um, a little bit about Zoe Hurston's past and her anthropological work, which I think I knew more mm -hmm. of than I did her fiction because um, I just happened to have a minor kind of sort of in anthropology, cultural anthropology, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> That I, that I read some of that before. Um, and so I think I saw a documentary years ago, and I mean, really probably 10 years ago now on something like A&E or Bravo before it became reality show driven about zombies in, in, Haiti, in, in Haiti. And so I think that was, so for me, I, I immediately kind of figured out what you were doing here, even though I was like, oh, the chicken, so. So I think, <laughs> so outside of that, I was like, oh, this is awesome. But I, but I do think that 
I really appreciate the, 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 the reckoning with our past and the way that we are reclaiming our stories. And I think that for me was the biggest part of me wanting to do this anthology was not just our stories, but I think from a black woman's perspective, I think that's the thing too, because speculative fiction as well as science fiction is really still really heavily male, you know, and it's, mm -hmm. and it's the same, uh, authors of color now that, that are having a moment um, it still is really white male driven, you know, so for me, uh, the idea of doing a speculative uh, collection that really uh, only focused on black women writers was really important because this is the kind of stuff that we get, right? This beautiful, you know, retelling or reimagining of the black zombie who is, you know, um, like you mentioned, killing them and letting us live, you know, partly in retribution, but also um, in the sense that, you know, we're not the folks who have been, um, you know, uh, the cause of the oppression. So we have a chance to, to live and to, and to keep moving forward. Um, but one of the things that I thought is that for me, this was probably one of the only real horror stories in this collection. And I wasn't really kind of looking for horror, but this worked in lots of ways. Uh, because for me, the flat tire in the middle of nowhere in, in rural white America is the ultimate horror story. And so this is what you mm -hmm. Me, and that's why it resonated so well for me because even just riding around Friday afternoon just doing a little sightseeing I kind of went south and I'm like oh man I don't know what these roads don't have lines anymore what because you know <laughs> and so there's a point <laughs> which you know I started thinking so I passed by a little area and there were some white guys kind of standing outside and they might have been perfectly fine but I knew I was far enough away from what I would consider you know, anywhere where I might feel safe. I mean, and I'm saying might feel safe. And I thought, what if I went off the side of the road? You know, there's nobody literally here who will help me, you know, and that's just where we are, like you said, politically and culturally right now in this moment, you know, folks have been emboldened, you know, with their racism and their, you know, propensities to destroy black bodies. And so for me, um, this this is it, This this is the horror story, you know? Uh, and I really like, on I think, early in the story on page 32, where you, uh, the character walks in and kind of scans the room, you know, um, uh, one behind the counter with a wall of cigarettes, two seated to the left with styrofoam takeout plates, a fourth further in the corner with a newspaper and a tall ball of beer, my eyes scanned and met the clerks. And I thought about the fact that whenever I'm in a space that's predominantly white, you know, I always scan the room. And this is what your character does to kind of get a feel for what I'm thinking, you know, so if I have to run or, you know, how many of, of them is it against me? You know, this, this idea of thinking about safety, even as we walk into a space where we know we probably won't be safe. Uh, and so I think for me that rooted this story in our current moment in so many ways in terms of the real fears that we have of being in always spaces where we know we're not welcome. That's right. That's, and, you know, to your point, thinking of what is one of the scariest moments as a Black person, as a Black woman in particular, um, that you can experience on a daily basis and something as simple as driving in your car, um, having to get gas, anything, um, you don't know what could happen next. There's th just this fear and anxiety that lives beneath the surface. Um, even if you don't, if you try not to let it creep in, that scanning the room is real. When you come into a place, you want to know who's where, mm -hmm. what, are, what do they look like, what are, their what are they wearing, what are signs of danger that I can pull out of this super ordinary situation. Mm -hmm. um, 
And at the time I was writing this and thinking a lot about horror, thinking about, you know, who gets to be afraid? Um, what does it even mean to have so many horror films that are uh, constructed from, as you said, a white male perspective? What they fear and what we fear on a daily basis are, um, are completely different. And so an ordinary situation that people take for granted, like, you know, asking for help at a gas station or getting snacks, um, what that looks like for uh, a black person in the middle of nowhere, but what it looks like in particular for a black masculine woman um, who also like earlier in the story um, mm -hmm. is seemingly misgendered and how all of those complex uh, fears can show up um, and then turning that on its head and not having to be the ones that are afraid. I would say one thing I enjoyed about the story was the sense of play. And I feel like you did a good job of it because the setting was not literal with detail, but you gave the readers just enough detail to really invoke the aura of the place, which is Southern and which is, you know, a little remote. So I want to ask a question about craft, because when you're crafting stories, what aspects of the writing are most important to you? A lot of it starts with um, the feeling itself. Um, like I said, a, a story might play in my head from the experiences I've had or something that's been on my mind. Um, but then being able to interrogate those first thoughts um, and revise and really think about what the story really is, what's trying to be said, um, and not just going with that first instinct or first thought of what a story could be, but really um, looking at the purpose. What, what will people feel when they read it? Um, what will it mean? What are the things that need to be conveyed um, in this setting? Um, but most of it starts with just that that spark or that feeling of a story that wants to be told and is telling itself to me so I can figure it out. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm curious about what other people felt when they read it. So I'm sure you had, you know, one or two when they got, I don't know how many people read it before submitting it. So what did they feel? One of my favorite reactions was from my mom. Uh, she is not very much, uh, she's not into horror. She's not into gore, even Afrofuturism and some of those kinds of things. It's not her niche and so I let her read it and she just kind of looked at me with this face and she's like it's really good but gosh like where did this come from um and so I think for some people it is jarring um but then to read through it again and just kind of um look at all the elements look at all the things that are happening um and it's not just the first uh the first jarring feeling you might get from the first read. Although I hope it's that too. I can see that, like you said, it can be jarring for some people, but um, there is a moment. I, so I reread the story this morning mm -hmm. and I feel like there was a period of rest specifically when Zora's in the car with the, I can't remember her name, but the woman that she meets in the store. Um, and that's like the calm, you know? And so I think even for readers, um, they will kind of experience that, that even for these characters, they were still in the midst of confusion. But they were also in the mm -hmm. um, where they can start to try to make sense of what happened. And that was a piece I was a little bit nervous about just because um, people react to trauma in all kinds of ways. And so seeing something uh, that is really beyond belief um, and figuring out how people might react in that moment um, was kind of a, a delicate balance, um, but also wanted to display the, the ways in which when we are experiencing things beyond our belief or fear or uh, discomfort, uncertainty, things like that, the way that we do rely on each other and we, re we rely on other black women 
um, for peace and levity in those moments when they really don't exist, but we have to create them for ourselves. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought about after reading that scene myself, is that it was such a Black moment that these two women get in this car after witnessing this horrible thing and and have a relatively normal kind of conversation. And I think that, to me, was just indicative of how we comfort each other, how we sometimes can find humor in something that's not really funny. Um, and so I just, I just, it felt just really black and authentic to me in the way that they just kind of, you know, I could, I could see that scene in my head. And so when you mentioned that this started off as an idea for a movie, um, and Lauren's comment that she would like to see this as a movie, that's, that's, I could just see them kind of looking at each other like, what the hell just happened? You know, so I just, I, I sense that, you know, and, and it felt like, like what Lauren said, a moment of calm, a moment of rest, where they were like, what the cuss, but, but we're able to recover in, 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 that, in that moment, you know, get to know each other just a little bit and then move forward. So I think for me, that was kind of the beauty of this story, the way that you uh, crafted it, the horror as well as the calm, as well as bring us back around to the end and the stream that she has. Because I'll be honest, I, I, I didn't want horror, you know, in this anthology, but this story worked for me in a way that was just enough, you know, that I didn't feel turned off by, not the trauma, because I think I can handle that, but by the gore. You know, you didn't make that mm -hmm. um, such a, an, an important descriptive piece of the story. We, we got it, and then you moved on to the next thing. So the horror here wasn't about the visceral stuff, you know. Uh, it was really more about the setting, the mood, the feeling, uh, the fear, you know, uh, and I think that's what makes a good scary story, one that folks like me who don't love horror, it, it can be palatable for us and we can still enjoy it without, um, you know, me having nightmares and not being able to sleep at night <laughs> because I'm that person. Right. <laughs> so, and so that's why I really I appreciate it. And the first girl was like, oh, this, this, this works for me, you know, because Lauren and I had talked about what what, what I knew I didn't want, and then I, of course, wanted to know what she wasn't interested in. And so there were some things that we did not want this anthology to be, you know. And um, and so I think that this worked really well uh, for what we do see now as a Black horror story uh, with those elements, but was something that was palatable for us, you know, in a way um, that I thought our readers would enjoy, too. So um, I think that just goes to, to your good writing. I appreciate that. Uh, and it's funny because I I really don't think of it as much as a horror uh, story, although I know that it is. But for me, it stops being a horror story in the gas station. Like the most fearful part mm -hmm. and the uh, the scariest part as a black woman happens before the zombies get there. Mm -hmm. um, and after that, it's more like a superhero film <laughs> in some ways um, <laughs> because it it does shift that um, it shifts the fear. Um, and I, it, it's also, you all mentioned, um, a short film or something. It's a film I would love to see, uh, made or to make eventually and be able to explore further, um, what that looks like or how it unfolds. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we, um, and, and I had kind of, Lauren opened up with talking about the review and Publishers Weekly, and it's so funny when you read what other people say about your work, you're like, oh yeah, that is kind of what that is, you know, and, <laughs> and as well as the queerness of this collection, because, you know, even though I'm a Black lesbian publisher, and most of our books have kind of focused on some of those themes, this call was very open. You just had to be a Black woman writer, you know, that could write speculative fiction. We didn't have any other parameters, you know, 
on top of that. Uh, so I was also surprised at that, and I had not noticed how many of those stories had queer themes or lesbian characters that were maybe even understated that wasn't the, the gist of the story, but that they just existed. And so even in this story, we have a character who is, you know, masculine of center, who gets misgendered, you know, and so I think that's also an important aspect of this collection in, in that we're just writing stories that come to us, you know, or the stories that, that need to be written. Um, and they're authentic in that way that isn't necessarily purposeful that this was a, a collection that set out to be lesbian or even queer, um, but it became that. And it was only when I read that review that mentioned your story as well. And I'm like, you know what, I guess it kind of is, you know? So just like Cara, I didn't see your story that way until I started thinking more critically about how we would define it, you know? So I do think it's um, interesting that, you know, we're, we're rethinking these stories ourselves, you know, in terms of genre and just how other people are seeing them, you know, which is what, you know, once it's out there, it doesn't belong to us anymore, right? So, mm. um, and so I think that's, that's really interesting too. And I really loved um, the idea of the collection, even um, before I submitted to it, because Afrofuturist writing, Black speculative fiction writing, it's radical, and it's radical in the way that it says Black people have always been here, Black women have always been here, and Black, we're, black queer women in particular have always been here, um, and we will be here in the future, despite the people and systems who try to erase or kill us. Um, we're going to be here in the future and we're going to be living. And so to see a collection that imagines us in the future and our full humanity, um, it's incredibly powerful. I was just sitting here thinking about um, reader actions and Stephanie, like you said, even though I didn't read the story and kind of classified as horror, I know that other people will. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. And it takes me back a little bit. And I think this was a good lesson that I learned in my writing and publishing journey. Um, a couple of years ago, Stephanie and I were in Memphis um, on a book tour, and one of the readers said that my story was scary. And mm. it took me, it took me, I was just like, what? You know, I never intended to write a story that way, but it's, it's, it was an important lesson for me as a writer to understand reader reactions, you know, and to be prepared for those reactions. And so like Stephanie said, in coming back and kind of assessing the anthology and knowing how the world will how the world would categorize things, you know, because once we release it, it's up to other people to to give us the feedback, and we hope the feedback is what we want, but um, mm -hmm. we have to be prepared for that, so, mm -hmm. yeah, we, we may have to solicit some reader reactions for this story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to know that as well. There's yeah. a whole bunch of folks who are doing Black horror. Um, as a matter of fact, I know a couple of people who write it, and I know two academics who write about it, you know, and also who um, co-edited an anthology a couple of years ago, uh, Single Rights as Daughters, and it's all about Black horror. So I think that there there's already an audience of folks who are, you know, looking for this kind of stuff, you know, and so I think because I don't love horror, I don't necessarily go out looking for it, but what I realized in, in terms of speculative fiction, it kind of encompasses a lot of different kinds of genres, and so even as, you know, um, I sent out, you know, press reviews and, you know, blah, 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 uh, I was surprised at the folks who are already out there, um, you know, writing about this stuff, and people who actually contacted me, you know, who wanted the book, you know, for review purposes or whatever, um, because they are doing that kind of work, and so I do think that, um, mm. You know, that th their folks are out there. I think we just don't get the attention that these other 
you know, con groups of people kind of get, you know, like, so Worldcon is happening actually right now in Dublin, in Ireland. And I think that they're, this is the, the group that, um, you know, uh, awards to Hugo. And so they're actually having that conference today. Uh, and so, um, but I, I think that those folks are out there, but because this genre has been so white, you know, dominated, I think that we don't, we have to look in, in, in other places to find each other. And me joining the Black Science Fiction group just kind of changed my life in terms of just realizing that there are literally thousands and thousands of us out there, probably if not millions, you know, of us out there who really enjoy this kind of writing and will have something to say when they start, you know, when they read the book. So um, I think we like to see ourselves imagined in the future and in various ways, whether that be as the, the villain, you know, the zombie ourselves or as, as the heroes, you know, the superheroes. And so I think that, um, I think people just appreciate the diversity that's in the collection, uh, the, the bits of horror as well as everything else that's in there. But yeah, but you know, but I think part of it is, is that there's so many amazing women doing so much really cool work and we don't often know who they are. You know, we don't associate that person with this entity, whether it be a website or a collection or whatever. People write under pen names, that kind of thing too. Um, but we don't always, don't always make the connections because we, we don't know them. But our very first interview with, at, with Les Talk, you know, Books Radio, was Paula Ash, who also writes hard, you know, and so she was on that website, and that's how I found out about it, and I think me and Crystal Smith last year, year before last, went to Charlotte for um, a little speculative fiction reading, and she was actually there, uh, not Paula, but I think Nicole was there uh, at that reading, and so I think there is a whole community of folks who are out there, um, and we just have to find each other and make these connections, so I do think that as you move from one genre to the next in terms of writing and publishing or whatever, you tend to find people who are doing the thing that you're doing now or this or whatever, you know, so I think that's part of it. So um, I just think there's six degrees of separation and, you know, um, at some point we're going to all know each other. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm excited about the networks that um, the, the anthropology or the anthology itself um, is building um, and people being able to see other folks that are um, doing work that is really cool and that they care about and being able to find each other and look each other's sites up and things like that. It's a really powerful tool. Mm -hmm. I would love to know what's next in your writing journey. What's on the horizon for you? I've really, um, I've been leaning more into um, speculative fiction um, and Afrofuturist writing. And I think Early on in my writing, I imagine myself more, um, you know, literary fiction and a certain way of doing things, but just the power of being able to create new worlds and create things where they don't exist, um, you know, in my daily life and practice and politics of creating better worlds that we want to see uh, for ourselves and each other, um, and in my writing also. Okay, well, just tell us where we can find you on the internet if people are interested in your work or in... Uh, getting in contact with you? Sure. People can go to kibblecarson.com. Um, it's K-I-V-E-L Carson. Uh, and also kibblecarson at gmail.com is an easy way to contact me. Thank you so much for chatting with us tonight. I cannot wait for you all to get this book. Thank you guys. This is great.